This is episode 91 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. I hope you're having a happy, prosperous, and productive day and appreciate your sharing it with me. It's easy for coaches to not walk their talk, especially since we are so focused on transformation and transitions. While the outcome of transformations and transitions are great, the process isn't comfortable for anyone, including the coaches who facilitate said growth. Andrea Lee joins me today to share her transition from one of the top pioneering business coaches to a blank-er slate as a humanistic writer. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now... Here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E box.com forward slash giant. Alrighty, Creative Giants. It's my great pleasure to introduce you to Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee is founder of Thought Partners International, which did business online under the identity Wealthy Thought Leader University, an internationally known company that has helped thousands of entrepreneurs upturn the status quo. Through coaching, they learn to prove their original business concepts, design business offerings that break new ground, and sell in lucrative ways that feel good. Alongside the coaching team at Wealthy Thought Leader University, Andrea has taught breakthrough thinking to thousands of entrepreneurial leaders from the startup phase through six, seven, and eight-figure incomes. At least, that's what Andrea was up to until April 30th, 2016. Over the last few years, Her work has expanded in scope from business topics to more universal topics on communication, growth, and creativity. She's heading into new territory for herself, walking away from a lot of the success she's built with Wealthy Thought Leader University. Listen in to see where her trajectory is going and why it's going there. Andrea, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, A lot of people don't know this. I guess some people do. But anyways, you're one of those people I look to as a uh, mentor strategist and mentor coach and just really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today and really sharing this journey that you're going through right right now. So thank you so much for your past work, but also the show as well. Uh, Thank you, Charlie. I feel very mutual about that. So this will be fun. Um, I'm coming with my heart open. So you always do. You always do. (laughs) Well, you know, I want to start there because one of the things that I've experienced about you so much is that that open heart and that heartedness comes through in conversations. It comes through when you meet in person. But, you know, 
a lot of what you produce has been so insightful and so, for lack of better words, heady that I think people oftentimes don't see that. And in some ways, you kind of remind me of Seth Godin in that way, right? Seth is brilliant and insightful, but dude's got such a big heart under that, right? Mm-hmm. Am I the only one that, that's told you that or have other people told you that too? I mean, not quite in those words, because you have a way with words, but for sure, you know, there's kind of like that Spock-Kirk divide, you know, (laughs) Um, and they'll say, you know, you you come at it with an edge, but you're also super tender about it. Um, You know, you're giving me this like tough love, but it it feels good, you know, (laughs) So, so in that way, I think it's similar, maybe. Great. Um, as I was prepping for this this interview, I was thinking about um, your career trajectory, but I was also thinking about um, coaching in general in the in the part that you played in that. And I say this because so many coaches, life coaches, business coaches, it doesn't really matter in this world of professional coaches. Like it's easy to forget that it's actually a really new thing, all things considered, right? Um, we're talking, it really wasn't a thing before the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was largely because of a, you know, the work, I, I believe, you know, Thomas Leonard had a huge impact on that. And when we talk about Thomas Leonard and his body of work, like if you're in the know, you also know Andrea Lee, <laughs> right? And, and the way that, that you pulled about that. So for people who aren't in the know about that, kind of take us back to say 1998, mm-hmm. that world and how that transpired. Just because so, I think that shows um, really a, a, a good way in which the, tra- the trajectory of your career has gone. Okay, sure. Um, in 1998-99, I was in my first business. It was a recruiting business. And, you know, coaching existed then, but it was mostly an offline thing. Um, and that was mostly because the world of internet and internet marketing really had not, not yet tipped. You know, it was really 2000, you know, just starting, especially in the personal development world. Mm-hmm. So when I decided to give myself a sabbatical, which is an interesting pattern that may come up later (laughs) from my recruitment business, I did what I usually do and then just sort of opened myself to possibilities and discovered an e-zine online. It was one of the very first e-zines that came out of a coaching organization called the Coaching Scoop. And in it, they were looking for volunteers. So, um, you know, I like to learn by experience. So I just, I did decide to raise my hand and I was typing as a volunteer. My mom always said, you know, boys dig ditches and girls can type, you know, <laughs> so very, very sexist, <laughs> but of its, of its time, you know, yeah, of its time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I typed as a volunteer and then I got hired as a customer service manager and then became general manager and COO of his company That was one of the very first companies, if not the first company, that brought coaching as a profession into the online space. So, Charlie, when you say, you know, coaching really wasn't alive until then, the way we know it now, I really think it's because it converged, like this coaching world converged with the internet, the rise of the internet. Um, easings. I mean, there was only one or two of them at that time in the coaching space. How many do you think there are now? Yeah, well, it's funny because every time I hear the word easy and I'm like, oh yeah, that was like, you know, blogging via email, right? <laughs> um, you know, just the technologies have changed. And so for people who don't know, that's what, that's what it is. It's not quite a newsletter, 
right? Um, it, it's a, it, but it's not quite a full magazine. It's just sort of electric digest that we sent, right? Which is why we have newsletters that look a lot of ways the way that they do now. Yes. They're shorter form, so on and so forth. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, I didn't mean to imply that um, coaching did not exist, but I think it's, it's availability to the masses was not available. Right. That's really what I wanted to say there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like you've been along this sort of trajectory. Do you think, what, what's changed really in the coaching world from the, let's look at it from the, the client's perspective mm-hmm. since say 1998 to okay. now? Yeah. Well, on the, good side I think there's a lot more choice so if as a client you're looking for the best coach for you for your goals you there's lots of choices and there are lots of ways to access those choices um there's a lot more specialties I think as well so you can really get to somebody who has exactly what you need um before it really wasn't that differentiated you know um, mm-hmm. It's part of market a market maturing. On the not so good side is probably you know no surprise the same thing. There's so much choice, so you get more people who maybe aren't as great at it or aren't as experienced at it or maybe even unconsciously unknowingly doing harm you know in the way that they're doing coaching. Regrettably, I think that that's true. Because it's become such an attractive profession that it, you know, it seems like there's a very low barrier to entry. So, you know, that kind of stuff. So as a client, there's a bit more let the buyer beware, you know, due diligence is, uh, I think, much more important now. Um, So, you know, that would be one thing I think that's different. Yeah. And, you know, the, today's conversation is not going to be about strictly about coaching, but I think you're one of those people that have been at the forefront of this. And so you're, you know, just really looking at that. And um, I don't say this as a, as a badge of pride, but like I've never gone through official coach training anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just the way that I showed up in the world. Right. Me either. Um, and, and so, um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, to, to just say like, there's a rich history here of, of this and, um, it's, it's, it's good to hear you on that. So, so there you are in, you know, 1998, you're a volunteer, you get hired as customer service. Um, take us forward. What happens next? The company, this is so, again, this is the company that Thomas Leonard owned, um, went from, you know, 10,000, sort of a thousand subscribers at the time to 10,000 members paying $79 for a lifetime membership, by the way. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, grew from there, became several hundred thousand people. And there was a graduate school that was born online to train graduate level coaches, about 2,500 people joined that. So, you know, it was an exponential growth phase between 2000 and 2003. And really, I think the, the thing to share, Charlie, about that is that of the many tens of thousands of members at that time, those were the initial storm cloud of seeds of coaches who began to say, I want to use the internet to build my business as a coach. And that was what we taught them in that, that training company to how to be a better coach for sure, but also how to market yourself online, how to have a brand, how to create multiple streams of income, all those, that kind of model was birthed in that sort of a very condensed three years that, you know, Thomas really led the charge on. 
Yeah, you, you called up the lifetime membership model. And I think we've talked about this because um, when from our conversation, I've always thought, hmm, who's lifetime and what does that really mean? Exactly. Right. And so tell us a little bit more about that for, for, you know, just kind of walk us through what happened when Thomas passed and this whole lifetime membership and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think Thomas was intending to be ironical. (laughs) And really, truly, we we can laugh about it. It, He would not be upset. He would want to be the source of good humor. So um, for those of you who don't know Thomas, he would think that's hilarious. (laughs) So, I mean, he, he priced this membership online. It was a coaching membership that was all the resources a coach could ever, ever want, um, delivered for $79, and that was supposed to be a lifetime membership. You know, however long you wanted in your lifetime to access this material. Um, It wasn't said explicitly, but that really was the premise. Um, And until he died suddenly in 2003 of a heart attack at the age of 47, um, it never even came up, the question, whose lifetime? So you can imagine um, the industry really had, I would say, an energetic, like almost like a recoiling of this event, of the sudden death of someone who so many people look to as a leader for the industry, but also as a creative inspiration. Like, wow, pro- how prolific he was, how, how he utilized language and the way his mind worked. So it was a big loss. And at the same time, in a sense, it was a graduation um, for the industry to sort of pause in this pattern of looking at Thomas as the sun and revolving, you know, having the sun be the center of everything um, and asking ourselves each individually, myself individually, you know, how do I, how do I focus on myself and lead my own life in the absence of this leader? Yeah. Um, and obviously that that's that's present for me um, given you know Scott Densmore's you know tragic death last year died at 33 um, founder of Live Your Legend and it's kind of one of those things where like huge loss at the same time that it's like a reminder that that it's not Scott's life that was important fundamentally to his mission it was the way that we were living our lives that that was really the message but we didn't hear the message until that happened you know and so um so thomas dies um let's talk about the 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 transition of the body of work because i think that was one of those things in our past conversations that that was really use really interesting so i mean i think we as thought leaders and coaches don't think enough about like what happens with all this stuff (laughs) that we have the finished stuff great but really this unfinished stuff right um, and how does that transition and how does that transition really lead you towards a worldly thought leader? I mean, I think what I took away personally the most was, you know, it's not some big grand sweeping thing, you know, right, Charlie, it usually it doesn't, it, it might come to you in a big thunderclap sometimes, but for me, it was just, you know, every day counts. Like it's so corny, but I mean that in a different way. It's like every day counts. Like if I'm creating something like yesterday, I was creating a a new 30 minute thingy. I have to deliver that I get to deliver. Um, And I was thinking the same thing that you're asking me about. It's like, you know, each of these exercises that I'm creating, each of these things, like a really deliberate with the follow through, like thinking, 
the people that are going to be in the room next week, the, how they utilize it. And really thinking about the through line of this content that I'm creating living on. Um, that's a very different come from to create content from. Um, I think Thomas did that naturally. He, he never taught it, which says to me he probably was just subconscious about it because he usually, as soon as he had a thought, he would teach it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but so with regards to content, he, uh, he left behind a lot. A lot was completed and a lot was not. Um, there was an opportunity after his passing for me to raise my hand to say, you know, if nobody else is able to really tend to this, um, I'll volunteer. And because um, and, I really, I just it sort of aches my heart to, you know, it's like a headache. It's a heartache, you know, that this seemed like it was, it was in sitting, his intellectual property was sitting in a desert and every day that went by more sand was covering. Yeah. <laughs> and soon it would be in a, a completely obscured and forgotten. So, you know, I seized that chance to um, kind of package a few of his pieces of intellectual property and make them available for anyone now to to access um you know because the 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 company of his and so on under the care of some terrific people has moved on to create new things and new vision right as as happens and as is right um a new ceo and so on so how did that lead me to wealthy thought leader i mean it kind of happened in two steps two big steps one was a lot of people asked me, you know, what it was like to work for Thomas and what was it, what, what did I know? And could I, could, see, this is the most common question I'm going to share it with you. I don't think I've shared it quite like this before. So can you work for me and do the same thing you did for Thomas? <laughs> and I can't pay you, but you know, you volunteered for a while, didn't you? <laughs> because of that yeah. part of the story. So um, when that happened enough times, I finally took the hint and I wrote a book about it and try to, you know, spill those secrets in as widely accessible as possible. So from there, I, I had a company that was, you know, really based around the book, Multiple Streams of Coaching Income, mm -hmm. um, which is focused on helping specifically coaches on how to, you know, replicate the part of the model that Thomas and I had, you know, and a whole bunch of other people had created uh, for other coaches. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, will you like do that for me? Or, like, you know, because you volunteered for. Oh, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> exactly. This is not 2004. Um, so this propels you into wealthy thought leader, to where you know um, the thing about wealthy thought leader is you can hear it in the title. It kind of says what it does on the tin, right? Which is I always love names like that, right? Which is really about. Um, I'm going to say about in present tense, right? Which is really about um, helping thought leaders not just be the thinky, not earning types, right? And, and, you know, barely able to keep things together as opposed to really understanding that um, the, the thing that they create, this IP that they create is really, really valuable and needs to be out there in the world in different ways. And they need to be rewarded for that, correct? Yes, very much so. Um, you know, and we're talking, give us, give us a timestamp on when that was. Really 2009. Um, I kind of was in the multiple streams part of it from, I would say, like 2004 to 2009-ish. Yeah. And then, honestly, just a, like one sentence of transition, because this is actually very interesting to me. I'm studying this myself for my next chapter right now, is 
my multiple streams of coaching income started to really aggravate me. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it wasn't for everyone and everyone was trying to do it. And so it was broken in certain ways. And there was a grit, an oyster grit that was forming a new pearl inside that work. And it led me to what do I do to answer this new need? Um, that's what Wealthy Follower became. So sabbaticals, did you take a sabbatical between multiple streams and wealthy thought leader? I kind of had one imposed on me um, because, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're not as into something, that thing kind of starts to not be as into you. (laughs) So, um, you know, business started to dwindle and I wasn't really motivated to do more with it. So I kind of you know, fiddle faddled around. I did a few things. I actually took a consulting gig with another organization. It was super fun. Um, sort of my pattern to let something naturally peter out and listen to the pattern of that and, and you know, pick up other opportunities that transition me to what's next. Good, good. So I'm going to do the sort of hyperspeed tour through, you know, well, the thought leader, yes. you set it up, it's a coaching program, you, you, you had, um, you know, as one might imagine, multiple streams of income, you had group coaching, you had individual coaching, you had events, um, you tried the salon model, which was basically where people would come and bring you there. Um, and so a lot of growth and a lot of different things tried within the container of, of wealthy thought leader. Um, and it's now, we're recording this on May the 5th, right? Um, on April 30th was the last official day of Wealthy Thought Leader being open, correct? Correct. So what led to that? A similar thing as what I said before. There are certain things about Wealthy Thought Leader. I'm super proud of all of my work. I don't regret any of it. Um, but I could see that there was something more nuanced that if I could see it, then I was being asked to do something about it. And in addition, you know, the market, market seemed to move. <laughs> yeah, they don't stay still. <laughs> so what was important to me and seemed like original needed messaging in, you know, 2009, you know, in the last couple of years, I felt like there was plenty of people saying those things. <laughs> And if there's anything I've learned, like I really thrive when I give myself a gift of, you know, what can only I do? Because we're so, each of us is so unique. And I try to coach this as well and stand for this as, you know, a way to change the world. And, you know, if I try to imagine how the world might be, it's like everybody's playing their unique note. So when I start to become redundant in my own world, then that to me is a big signal. Time to change. Yeah, well, it's time to change, but this is the humble part of Andrea, right? Showing up here in the mm-hmm. sense where if, you, if, if you're paying attention to what's going on, there was also a way in which you were a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. And the thing about being a trendsetter is you're always making yourself obsolete in a way, right? Um, because your message ends up rebounding off of 18 other people and coming back to you. And you're like, ah, oh, that's such a dead message, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Even though it's the message you started sometime slice in the past, right? So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that that's one of those things is that, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, who was I talking? Oh, I was at um, Tara Gentile's um, Quiet Power Summit. Nice. And, and, and this, I was, I was keynoting there. And one of the things that, oh, who said it? I think it was Bridget. Um, I think Bridget was the one that said, like, you know, a lot of times we in business resist saying 
um, those things that, that the market's looking for, right? Everybody says, you know, finding a life of ease and everybody says, you know, grow your list and everybody says these types of things. But there's this reminder, like at a certain point, everybody says it because that's what everybody is looking for. Right. And I think it's kind of like, um, if I were to go back and look at say copy blogger in 2007, 2008, well, 2006, 2008, like they were sort of at the forefront of, of like content marketing and paid content marketing and selling from blogs and things like that. Right. That was a huge message at that time. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 2016, not so much. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're irrelevant. It's that that message is now public domain, common knowledge, whatever we want to call it. It's, It's not a piercing thought anymore. Yeah. It's not a piercing thought. So what's your piercing thought right now? I think at least one of them has to do with as entrepreneurs, but also, you know, just as human beings, it's not, it's not, um, you know, what are we looking for? Like what are the common things we're looking for in our lives? What could we be looking for? Um, so the other day someone asked me, you know, all this wealthy thought leader stuff and multiple streams, like it doesn't work for not for profits, does it? Um, you know, I'm, uh, just a person working in a job. I can't be an activist at the same time. Can I, um, you know, you can't be a, you know, a person with a a great podcast and so many great things going for your brand and, um, you know, try to minimize your screen time and have lots and lots of time off in a year. Can I, um, we can't, you know, we've, depleted our earth's resources and we've basically overshot we can't also be happy people can we um so it's those paradoxes that i'm i find myself asking and i need space to think about these things and kind of be there and um one of my clients did work in the gender violence space and you know one of the biggest blessings i don't think we advertise about the coaching career is how blessed you get by your clients. And so she really opened my eyes that I have things that feel piercing that I would like to say about anger and violence in the world. And actually I have some overlap with the entrepreneurial world, but I don't know if I'm going to try and make those things fit or not. So that's really why I, I, you know, created this, completion date for Wealthy Thought Leader, which was last week. And I really knew that I needed to not be trying to deliver on a promise that my heart was no longer in. As soon as I knew that I knew I needed to be transparent about that with the community. And so now I get to just kind of be a lazy schmuck and think things and not feel like I'm letting people down because that would be the last thing I'd want to do as a citizen of the world. So that's... (laughs) That's, I don't know if that's piercing, but that's what I got. <laughs> well, it ears piercing, but there's a couple of things that, are, that I'm going to come back to with that, right? Um, here you are, wealthy thought leader, you know, doing its thing. You got a staff, you got a team. And there's, there have been a lot of conversations on the show recently about big transitions and transitions away, right? And it's one thing to say, Hey, I'm in my solo business. Um, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to move on and do something different. It's quite another thing to say, Hey, I've got this team of people 
this thing that I'm doing is no longer where I am. It's time for me to move on and do something else. Right. Um, if you can bring us into that, I wouldn't call it stuckness because you didn't say that you were stuck with it, but just pull us into that tension or that emotional tension around that and just kind of walk us through what that's like. I guess the main thing to say first would be that I think of um, the team, any team that I help to build to be really no different from clients. Um, they are clients um, of the heart, you know, just a, I don't know. That's just how I operate. So the tension really lived in seeking to complete in a timing and a way that allowed other team members and leaders in the group to ascend from there. So that not only would everyone be whole, but be elevated and accelerated if that was what the, whatever, uh, you know, word you want to use that was right for them. Some of them maybe want to slow down as well. But so sort of, it's like if I'm parking a rocket ship and I'm watching out only for, you know, one part of the rocket ship, then I can say, oh, this timing and so on. But if there's like four other parts of this rocket ship that I'm trying to say, is this the right time? Is this the right way to dock or whatever it is? Um, it's a more complex calculation, um, emotionally as well as intellectually. And so it just requires a lot of communication, <laughs> um, a lot of, real, you know, continued candor because, you know, when you build a team with lots of transparency and openness and it's easy to say, you know, I'm thinking I might be getting close to done. Where are you at? <laughs> um, and even before asking that question, kind of stuffing about it and saying, well, so-and-so has been trying to launch their thing on their, you know, their own thing. And, you know, honestly, I think actually that person would be better off if they weren't, you know, on this team being distracted by this mission. So I'm not, a, you know, that's tough love, you know, like go, you know, <laughs> that's a reason to complete so that that person can be released. So, yeah. I mean, that's an important point because in a business like what you had, it's impossible. I won't say it's impossible. It's very unlikely that people would be around you long enough without becoming entrepreneurial themselves. Right. And the thing about it is you and I have both seen so many entrepreneurs who don't get any momentum and traction because they're not, they're, they're safe with, you know, safe under the arms of a job or they're safe under the arms of another entrepreneur or they're safe under something else. And, you know, to be successful sometimes required making that bold choice of going forward. Um, I'm not, I'm not a cut. I'm not the, I burn the ships guy. That's not Charlie. Right. Mm -hmm. But there, there's a sense where like, I got him. I like actually have to make this work. Right. Um, and sometimes the, the uncomfortable thing when, when you're, you got people under your wings is like, like you got to go like mm -hmm. take off, please, please. And at a certain point, like there's nothing here for you make it work, right. you know? Yeah, no, you're, put, you're putting your finger on something. I mean, I always tried to operate with my team as if I wasn't inside a bias, you know, that it was good for them, regardless of what it was good, whether it was good for my company. Um, there's just a health in that, an uh, interdependence in that, that I, I, I try to keep at heart. And so at a certain point when I was slicing up my decision, because believe me, I, it took me some months really to come to this decision. And the people who were closest to me, once I started to verbalize, they were saying, oh, you've been working on this, this, this decision for a long time. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, where was the memo? <laughs> 
He's like, well, you have to come to it. Of course, you know, everything that I say to people too, you know, you have to give a person time to come to it. But I, when I sliced it a certain way and looked at it, it's like actually from the point of view of the team, I probably could have shut earlier. That's when I knew I needed to get off my butt and stop being a chicken, you know, about it. So my, my team coached me. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, so here's the weird turnabout. But what I was just saying is that the team gets into a stasis with you, like if, when they're entrepreneurs where they're like, oh, like it's safe here. I'm not going to move away. But at the same time, you became into a relationship stasis with them mm-hmm. that because they were there, you weren't taking your own choices and going forward in a way. Oh, right? It's just a big, giant, codependent mess. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Another thing that I've been noticing well, is about the memo. Um, you know, this is something that I've been curious and I, I don't know if maybe I've been misperceiving things, but it seems like with your more recent work that it's moving more away from business and the craft of coaching specifically towards broader, let's just call them humanistic concerns, right? Yeah. Human, you know, things like that. Is that really what's going on or is it yeah. a misperception? It's not a misperception, Charlie. <laughs> okay. Full marks. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, because you, you mentioned that in um, your new thing where you kind of mentioned like these deeper questions and you're like, and when I can make it a, you know, relevant to business and I can, but it, it seemed like mm-hmm. there's that way in which, and, and I'm really curious about this because yeah. obviously with my own work, sometimes it's so tempting to try to shoehorn that idea into a a business related thing, right? Or a coaching related thing, as opposed to it just being the kernel Mm -hmm. and the kernel being good enough, right? And the kernel being valuable enough without it having to have our standard metrics of business on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how, How are you sitting into that place yourself? I'm trying to really release all of the tethers to the entrepreneurial work fully and give myself space to in a vacuum of that, So I'm not trying to think, you know, or sense into these things inside the soup of that. Um, And with that clear palette, clean palette, to see what the essence of those kernels that you say sound like. And then later, you know, it may be that my mind can come back into service and say, you know what, there really is an authentic connection to the entrepreneurial life. Um, And that's great if it does. But, you know, I've been asked a lot of, you know, transitions are funny because especially with a successful business, it's not, it's not like the, you know, we had 50 active clients in our last membership group um, at the time of graduation last week. Um, could we have kept that open? Could we have modified so my participation was less and keep some of the team or, you know, you know, it's, it's a giant no for me in that decision. It was very simple. It was never, and uh, once the bigger decision was made, those things were very simple. Um, we needed a clean slate. We needed a clean break. We needed everybody to be able to say, reset the relationship dynamics and reset our own understanding of how we relate to the world. Hmm. As, hmm, this, this might be an ill-formed question, but hey, Mm. That happens. It's good. It, it's resetting relationships. And whenever we reset relationships, we actually reset our own identity as well because our identities are formed in relationships with other people. So how has reset it, resetting all of these relationships brought up um, 
um, I'm trying to use, I, I know enough of, you, of your language here, but brought up different ways in which you're understanding yourself in the world, ways in which you're understanding that maybe I am that person, maybe I'm not that person. Who is this new person? Like, just tell us about that change. Cause again, you break, you reset the relationship, you modify your identity. Right now. I mean, that's such a lovely Charlie question. The thing I would, I think what I can express right now is that I really am such a lucky woman, like incredibly, incredibly every single cell. I can't even anyway. So the people around me, I think more than anything, there's so much of a gift in the fact that they have no expectations of me right now. And so in resetting, it's almost like the etch-a-sketch. It's like, it's not, we're not drawing the new picture yet. There's nobody saying, tapping their toes and saying, okay, have you figured out your thing yet? Who are you now? Um, they're loving me for the blank slate that I am, that cleaned etch-a-sketch, you know, after you've done a whole bunch of drawing and then you say, okay, I'm done with that and just erase it all. I'm in that erased place right now. So the relationships have been reset to, you know, I'm really not going to be that interesting to talk with maybe for a little while. <laughs> or maybe I'm going to be pretty rambling and, ta- rambling and talking about all sorts of different things and seemingly kind of all over the place. And I, like appreciate or, or be annoyed by it, but that's how, how it is. Mm-hmm. Does that get to it a little bit? That does get to it. I mean, and you're not in a yurt yet, right? So you're, <laughs> you're still, you're still in the world with us in a way. And I don't, I don't see there being um, a, a lot of ways in which you're not going to be interesting. It's just, you know, as you were saying that I, I just to be honest, I would be terrified to be in that, that blank etch a sketch thing. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell do I do with myself? Like, where do I start? How do I start without hanging on to like what I've done in the past or maybe some of those, like there's all those types of questions where like I do best on the etch a sketch when there's like three lines and I'm like, okay, there's a pattern starting to go here and I could do something. Right. And so I just wanted to to share that with you that it might not be relevant for your journey right now, but just mm. that would, there would be very tough moments for Charlie Goki in that, in that space. I hear you. It's so fascinating. I love that you shared that. Cause I mean, I think I, I'm not going to, you know, for sure. I have like definitely the WTF and the F gets really big <laughs> letter, like in my mind, it's just this giant WTF, but the way you said it made me think it's like, well, I know I'm of the homo sapiens, you know, I know I'm human. <laughs> I know I'm not an angel or another energetic body or whatever. Um, I know I've been given female identity, you know, so like the Etch-A-Sketch screen might be blank, but it's still an Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> it has knobs on it. So I don't know. There's, I don't have a sense of dislocation. Um, I actually feel very clean and, settled about my essence it's just that more of like a tofu like state i don't have my sauce yet Mm, i could see that um great way of saying that i mean and and you're right it's not that it's impossible um you know i just had a thought of going into a rawlsian framework about political theory hell i'm gonna go there so part of it is um in say rawlsian political theory there's this idea of the veil of ignorance and under the veil of ignorance um it's basically you don't know who you're going to be in the world when you make these decisions so you could be a um asian heritage woman like in in a certain society you could be someone that's you know really rich and in the popular class but under the veil of ignorance 
like if we were just saying what type of policies, what type of rules would we create for our society? Under that one, you would choose rules that benefited the person at the bottom the most. Right. You might be that person. Right. I love that. You might very well be that person. And if we all really could believe that we might be that person, we would change the bar about the way that we think about our social structures and how we give and how we receive and how we set up the rules of our society. See, that is the kind of thing that I know this show really, these conversations are about, is like being able to set aside the very commonplace grooves of conversation and pierce through and imagine how the world could be, um, you know, if we take the red pill, right? For lack of a better mm-hmm. shorthand to say that. Um, have, have you read the, In the Name of Identity, the Amin Malouf? Not yet. Yeah, very similar. You know, not similar. Great story, but basic. the basic premise is that identity is at the heart of, of ignorance and war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some interesting stories and yeah. illustrations of that. The, the critique of Rawls is that um, none of us get, would actually know how to make decisions without, yes. without that. Like, and what what moral bias does it play? Like, sure, that's all true, but what does that mean for us in this real world? But that that's going deep down the rabbit hole of social and political philosophy. But there's mm-hmm. this idea that like we are bounded creatures and that boundedness um, it, of our, you know, historical facts about ourselves or, you know, sex, the, how tall we are, mm-hmm. like just there's certain things that are constraints where that etch a sketch, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the thing, if we want to continue with that is though we're always at etch a sketch, like, we either don't have a knob or we have a new knob (laughs) and we don't know how it works with the other ones, but we get to play with that knob and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Um, Or if we lost a knob, right. You might, there, there's a convincing story to be told that you you may have lost your business knob. Right. right? And it's like, Oh, I'm drawing just with this one knob here and I don't have this other one. How's that going to turn out now? For those Etch-A-Sketch fans, I know that one of the knobs goes vertical and the other <laughs> And so there are some problems with the model here, but just, yeah. just bear with me here. <laughs> you can make that knob go anywhere. Maybe it's a different color. So anyways, um, so you're right. We're, we're bounded by these identities, but it's really interesting. Did, did you get a new knob or did you I, lose a knob? And am oh. I going right, to, or both or neither? And am I going to discover that actually now Etch-A-Sketch, I can use my finger on the screen. You know, that's kind of my attitude, you know, as I wake up every day now and my first week after closing down the businesses encompass my life for, you know, close, you know, like a long time. <laughs> um, and like any entrepreneur, like really had it eclipse my consciousness, right? Um, that I might be able to draw with my finger on the new Etch-A-Sketch that I become. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we can go back and say like, well, the thought leader started in 2009. Um, well, we can see that like multiple streams was like the the starter, like it, well, they thought later was a brand evolution of well, they, uh, of multiple streams. And so you've been in that same sort of thing. And then if we say that line, we can go back a little bit further. Maybe the work you were doing with Thomas Leonard was, you know, that, but like now you're in a completely different pot or you could be in a different pot. Yeah. Right? And it's not the same tree, same growing from the same thing. And that's beautiful. And like I said, you know, I would have my terrifying moments with it, but um, that, that's just, I'm, maybe I'm grounded in that way. <laughs> um, that being said, what right now is really, I mean, I mentioned earlier, like the, the, the piercing thing. Um, 
But I'm really interested because you're still in some ways, you know, using your Delta model and, you know, talking about being stuck and things like that, right? Um, is, is that really where you're trying to work through how, is it how the mental constructs we have in the world constrain the ways in which we even consider possibility or um, I'm not being clear here, but mm-hmm. I'm just wondering in that sort of Rubik's cube that I, you know, I always think of you with the Rubik's cube, like she's spinning and it's coming together, right? <laughs> um, how is that spinning and worrying for you right now? I, I'm so flattered. <laughs> um, I never did get good at Rubik's cube. So whatever that says. <laughs> I'm terrible. at. I was very good at peeling the, the color off of the Rubik's cube and, and make it so. See outside the squares. Um, I, I, I mean, I think the easy answer is, I wish it was a more clever, interesting answer, but the sort of very simple answer is that, that the sort of working on the Delta model and that, you know, my latest book, We Need to Talk About Difficult Conversations is, was kind of felt more like a tidying up of a piece of work that I had not yet done. And I wanted to get checked off before I finished. Um, it just felt like it was one last thing. I resisted, honestly, like I'm, people who had suggested, you know, you need to write this a book about how you tell people to piss off and have them love you for it um, thing. And I'm like, no, I don't, do I do that, first of all? <laughs> and then, but it took me some time. And then I finally wrote it because I did feel like what you said, like there is just some, it's almost like a, just a, a skill, like a human skill, like a skill that crosses, cuts across all activity, entrepreneurial or not. Um, and it didn't seem like there was something in the space that really had the tone that I felt um, could be useful. So I just decided to write it real quick and put it out in the world and let it do its thing. I don't know that it'll be something that I take. I mean, I live from that. Like that book probably more than anything really is something that I really live um, versus like I you know business model that I learned when I worked with Thomas or learned through other business experiences. So I have no doubt that somehow it'll be involved because it, it is, you know, at, at, a, at an essential level of who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when the book came out, I was like, and that's where I, I noticed, I was like, this, it's an Andrea conversation, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And not in a different best. Sometimes we're like, that's interesting. Interesting. I hate when people say that's interesting, right? <laughs> Especially when it's like, that's interesting. And you're like, that could mean anything. It's a blanket word. What do you mean? Um, but I was like, oh, this is, hmm. This is an evol- not an evolution. This is this is something new in a, mm-hmm. in a different way. And so mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to applaud the courage of doing that because again, it's so easy to to get in the inertia mm-hmm. of of your past, right? Um, it reminds me of actually. I think this is twice I compared you to Seth Godin um, today. Mm-hmm. Hmm, there we go. Um, mm-hmm. Seth Godin with the um, the Icarus deception mm-hmm. was also it's a divergence from what he had done before. Um, and the courage to do something like that is, is quite remarkable. So yeah. um, just wanted to applaud that. Thank you. Applause from you is really worth something to me. I mean, the thing, the thing that's interesting maybe that maybe I can insert here is I am writing something else right now. So it's not entirely true that there's nothing on the edge of sketch. Uh, totally see, there we go. <laughs> like a 10% working on this writing. It's very formative, like very raw 
ingredient. Um, but it, it is, you know, this we need to talk in the reflections that you're giving me about it is it's like I'm writing it from that new identity of a person who did that book, but we need to talk book. So um, it's, it's giving me some freedom and I, I'm like, I'm fascinated at what I will write. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I'm in an open, open about sharing about more about it, but you know, I want to stay on track with the groove we're on. Um, there so is yeah. no groove, Andrea. <laughs> oh, really? There's no groove. There, there's no, there's no spoon and there's no groove. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's just, we're just showing up. Okay. All right. I, I think I'm with the program. All okay. right. I mean, tell us a little bit more about the, about the, about the work. I'm curious. Well, I mentioned earlier that one of my clients is doing some cool work in the gender violence space. It's a, it's a hard term for me to say, because I really think that's a wrong, it, I don't, it's one of the fundamental things I don't like about it. It's like calling this field gender violence or even gender violence prevention, but you know, angry people. Pause real quick. Tell us more about that. Well, gender is a troublesome word, you know, uh, gender violence is a word is a term that it very much presumes that it's man on woman violence. It's pretty much, I don't know what, how to describe that kind of word. Um, but so it's not, it's an unfair word. I think it's an unjust word and there is, I seek justice for that concept and the word is not a helper. So that's part of it. Um, I have a real strong grit because I have been a very angry person in my life. Um, and I'm not a man that was abusive to a woman. So in my healing journey, seeking true peace, you know, like to be an angry person and like, really like, can I even find peace is, isn't even possible. Um, and being able to say to you, you know, I, I can't tell you the end of the story, but I'm telling you, the story is getting really good. It gets a lot more peaceful. It gets, it, it, you know, that is what I'm writing about. Um, so it's kind of a memoir, which makes me, I feel very Shirley MacLaine when I say that. <laughs> a memoir. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, I'm kind of writing in an uh, out-of-the-box way, creative nonfiction, where I'm also writing the sides of the story of my parents my husband, other people in my life. So, you know, that really awesome Clint Eastwood movie, the pair of um, flags of our fathers and uh, uh, letters from Iwo Jima, mm -hmm. two sides of the same story, the American side and the Japanese side, two movies telling the same slice of history. Um, it's kind of like that. I, I'm trying to capture that inside this new writing. And it's, so it's about my individual story, but the way I'm writing the, where the, the medium is the message is that, nobody is ever all good or all bad ever there there is bad in the best of us and there is good in the worst of us and the challenge of our time i really think is to understand ways in which we can love the good the tiniest speck of good in the worst of us and understand that better so that seems like something we need to read a lot more about As, you know, we're starting to sort of um, wrap up here, I'm, I'm curious, we've talked a lot about your transitions, this current, um, I'm going to use the word, this, this current sort of um, 
hmm, what's the word I want to use here? I was going to say void state, but that's because I've been writing about voids. Um, this, this current Etch-a-Sketch space, right? Yeah. Um, so there, there could be that you've already answered this, but I'm just curious, like what's the most unanticipated challenge, the unanticipated challenge that you're facing right now? Being pulled and seduced by the old, the, by the opportunities that are arriving from people who don't realize I have moved where I am. Uh, lots of people, you know, can you come do this for me? I want to be your client. This is a big gig. Come do this, you know, partnerships and things like being, you know, not, it's not no fault of theirs, but, you know, just because I've shut one thing down doesn't mean that I'm looking for a new thing that looks pretty similar to that. Um, and that's the presumption that quite a few people are making that it's like, oh, well, can you this, can you that? And it's like, no. And I'm not the kind of person who ever really feels like I need to explain to anyone. Like if I am explaining something, just because I care, you know, if I don't really, you know, like I don't owe anybody an explanation. So I just say no, but you know, because I care, you know, Charlie, you know, our friendship is what it is. And you know, your show, um, what those people don't understand is that I, I'm trying to swim out of that current and that current, the favor that the world has been doing me and the people who know and care about me is to release me from that current. So that's been intriguing. I wouldn't say it's a shocker, but it's it's been the thing that I've been feeling the most that I have to wake up and kind of release the most um, and kind of spend most time in meditation kind of go, okay, yeah, that's a very sexy offer, but let it go. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do it, but it's like, you know, so you did this volunteering thing in the past. Could you help me? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you're not doing the thing anymore. So maybe you have time for this now. Right. 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 And you know what? It's actually okay. I'm actually picking a couple things to do. Um, cause I like to stay active, but, um, it's good practice for me to really keep those very contained and make an empty space in the middle. So this other stuff can happen. Good. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work from this episode, what would you want it to be? Like your, your, the one song, right. As it were, you know, be brave and listen within. Yeah. Andrea, I so appreciate the extra time you've given me today. Um, I, I know it's been a longer, but a, been a great conversation and, and thanks for um, being brave yourself and taking your next step wherever that may take you. Thanks, Charlie. It's so good to have friends along the way. And thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really. Until your next transition and etch a sketch moment. <laughs> Who knows when they're going to come, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, Creative Giants, so you heard it from Andrea. What can you do right now to be brave and listen to yourself? Be brave and listen to yourself. What transition might you be going through? What hard decision might you not be making? What conversation do you need to talk about? Be brave and listen to yourself. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.